0: Welcome to a 2015 Kessler Foundation Research Speaker Series. Guest speaker Dr. Trevor Dyson-Hudson presents Spinal Cord Injury Research. Don't worry, he won't get far on foot. Dr. Trevor Dyson-Hudson is director of Spinal Cord Injury Research and Outcomes and Assessment Research at Kessler Foundation and conducts clinical SCI research and is principal investigator slash co-investigator on a number of SCI grants. He is Project Co-Director of the Northern New Jersey SCI System, a National Institute on Disability and Rehabilitation Research funded SCI model system of care. His research interests include restoration of function and mobility in persons with SCI and the prevention and treatment of common secondary medical complications affecting this population, including pain, musculoskeletal overuse injuries, cardiovascular disease, and respiratory complications. This presentation was recorded on Monday, October 5th, 2015 at the Kessler Foundation Conference Center, West Orange, New Jersey, and is sponsored by Kessler Foundation.
1: For those who don't know me, I'm Trevor dyson Hudson. I'm Director of Spinal Cord Injury Research here. I've actually been here since 1997. Spinal cord injury obviously is very near and dear to me uh, for obvious reasons, and uh, my research covers the whole gamut. Uh, from secondary medical complications to mobility. So uh, when I was found out I'd be giving the October uh, research presentation I tried to give kind of a broad title uh, that would give me some flexibility. Um, You know and I don't want people to feel like I'm being too glib about that Um, but the the idea is that you know just mobility is also such an important part of people you know what happens after spinal cord injury and it's often the obvious thing that people see Uh, and this the reason why I chose this obviously is not because of the cliche from old western movies but also um, how it highlights the importance of the wheelchair now people hear a lot about locomotor training and things to help people walk but the wheelchair still forms such an important part of mobility uh, for people with spinal cord injury. So what I wanted to do is talk about one of our research studies dealing with this particular area and mobility in the wheelchair. So you'll often hear the term wheelchair bound, right? But really the wheelchair is a mobility device. And um, I want you to look at the image on the right Now do you feel that guy is bound by his wheelchair or do you think it enables him to do things that he might not normally be able to do? You don't have to answer that, but it's pretty obvious that the wheelchair enables this guy to get out of his house, his apartment and get out there. Uh, That's Aaron Fotheringham and uh, he used to go to the skateboard parks with his brothers and he'd watch them having fun on skateboards and after a while he got brave and he started doing that with his own wheelchair. Uh, If you do YouTube searches for him, you can see over the course of time, he became the first person to do a backflip in a wheelchair. Um, And he's now a regular uh, feature at the various X Games, you know, uh, with some of the stunts that he does. It also highlights uh, something, another, my my sense of humor is a little dark, but it highlights uh, the thing that every para has a... God-given right to become a quadriplegic. So, anyway, moving on. So wheelchair really is a form of assistive technology, enabling people uh, to become independent. Now, the majority of individuals with SCI use a wheelchair. In fact, you could say it's probably the most single enabling device that you could give a person with a, with a spinal cord injury, whether they walk or not. Um, If they walk, they can still uh, use the wheelchair to cover long distances and uh, do walking either as a way to get around in short term um, or it's a a temporary rehab uh, assistive device for those. But for those who can't walk, this, uh, this allows them to get out. Now this isn't the case when the wheelchair doesn't work or when it causes the user harm or if it fails before insurance is willing to replace it. So then we're really talking about breakdowns. And so I'm giving just kind of an overview of a talk I'll be giving later this month. I figured this was a good opportunity for me to practice. Um, But at uh, ACRM, American College of Rehab Medicine in Dallas, uh, there's gonna be a team of us doing a workshop together uh, led by Lynn Warbley who's at uh, University of Pittsburgh, myself and Alan Heinemann out of uh, Northwestern Rehab Institute of Chicago. So this really is a team effort, and I'm just happening to be presenting it to you today because many of you won't be at ACRM at the end of the month. Anyway, this is, it's a real group effort. This is collaborative study. I'll go into that a little more. But I'll touch briefly on wheelchair breakdowns, wheelchair maintenance today, what well, we know about it a training program that we've developed through this study, and then address any questions. I'm not going to give you any results at at today's presentation. So wheelchair breakdowns are a real problem for people with spinal cord injury. Now over the course of the model system since 2000, we've been surveying people with spinal cord injury uh, about wheelchair breakdowns. And so during that time, we've had reports 2006, 2011, Denise Fife is looking at something for 2014. Um, But these questions ask, in the past six months, how many repairs did your wheelchair require? And because of this, did you experience any adverse consequences as a result of the repairs? Now we use the term adverse consequences. You often hear the term adverse events, but for a wheelchair user, an adverse consequence would be stranded, right? Injured because you fell or hurt yourself, missed work or missed a medical appointment. So these are essentially things that if because the wheelchair breaks down you're either injured or you were left stranded and that's a pretty helpless feeling if you have no mobility. It essentially means for those who can't walk that you're stuck in bed and you can't go to work or go to an important appointment. So. So, now you would think over time, based on these reports, that things would get better. They're actually getting worse, and uh, you know that the number of wheelchair breakdowns are increasing over time. Now, you may, may say this is from increased vigilance, but this is all part of our standard follow-up in the SCI model systems. So um, there are a number of reasons why this might be happening. Quality of wheelchairs is really going down. Um, you know everybody's trying to make things cheaper with a better profit things are getting outsourced to other countries and so it really the quality is going down so what can we do when quality goes down um well let's actually let's look at some of the adverse consequences so you know breakdowns are increasing Um, this is looking, difference between two studies that are published, one in 2009, one the other in 2012. As I said, Denise is working on another one along with the folks at Pitt for, uh, for 2015. But, uh, people are left stranded, I mean that seems to be the big, uh, problem that happens to a lot of other, to people. So. And what is going wrong? Well, one of the major things are things related to the wheels and casters. So people get flat tires, uh, there's issues with their wheels, their axles, Um, wheelchair frame, the frame can break if uh, you don't pay attention. For power wheelchair users, you have something called the user interface. So something goes wrong with the electronics. You have a very sophisticated electronic device and just means that there may be more chances for something to go wrong. This includes the various peripheral items, electrical systems, power control systems, etc. So, um, this again just shows what a breakdown of what are the different things that, break, that go, but you can really kind of break it down into two broad categories. So, wheels and casters. So, some of these things are flat tires, as I said. These could be addressed if somebody knew how to maintain them. Um, I mean, not everybody, how many of you know how to, to fix a flat on your bicycle? Um, you know, very few. Uh, or even change your own flat tire in your car. And so you're stuck waiting for AAA uh, to come repair that. The other um, things can be broken down into kind of, you know, items that break down but would require, let's say, the outside support group to come and look at it. but. If you do regular maintenance, perhaps you could avoid these things happening. So there have been previous studies looking at this and that, uh, that regular maintenance and servicing could improve reliability. So 10 times more likely to have a wheelchair-related accident without regular maintenance. And so there's been some interventional studies that have done on a kind of a superficial level And they found that there are fewer accidents in the intervention group. So, some of the limitations they're really, they make the wheelchair user a passive observer. So, instead of enabling the person, teaching them how to repair their own wheelchair or be more proactive so that they can identify the problems, uh, they are working with a therapist or a technician who does this for them. and regular maintenance is identified as an important problem but remains uncommon. People just don't do it if you ask them. Now the World Health Organization has a training manual but it's limited to manual wheelchairs and it really hasn't been looked at at how effective this is. There's nothing for power chair users. so. Um, the Collaboration on Mobility Training is a multi-site study funded by NIDLER, which is National Institute for Disability, Independent Living, and Rehabilitation Research. It's a five-year collaborative study consisting of four centers. University of Pittsburgh, which is the lead site, uh, Principal Investigator's Mike Boninger. Uh, South Florida Spinal Cord Injury System, which consists of the Miami Project, University of Miami. Midwest Regional Spinal Cord Injury Care System, that's uh, Northwestern and Rehab Institute of Chicago, and then us, uh, the Northern New Jersey Spinal Cord Injury System. And one of the goals within, so one of the things we do is wheelchair skills training, uh, which is teaching people how to pop wheelies and jump curbs and do things. Nothing as extreme as what Aaron was doing, Um, but we also help them uh, to the, we wanted to develop a wheelchair maintenance training program to see if with that intervention we might be able to prevent breakdowns and improve overall quality of life now I mean the maintenance program isn't meant to address something as extreme as what Aaron's doing clearly he has a very special wheelchair but it was just to highlight uh, what one can do it's really just trying to address breakdowns that can happen with everyday life not not abuse of wheelchairs so what I wanted to do was just kind of go over the course that we're doing and the study itself. So it's, this is a study that Will Weber uh, is doing with me. Uh, Mary Shea is leading the classes along with us. Uh, Will has been really the driving force in enrolling and uh, keeping things going for us. And uh, it's been a real SCI team effort uh, with Rachel, Tierra, Lorena, Ashley. Um, Rhea, uh, Stephanie, everybody helping out in some form or other. Um, I hope I didn't forget anybody, Um, (laughs) if I did, forgive me. Uh, So it's broken across two days, uh, so one class a week, and uh, the way we break it down is the first day is really kind of a a lecture series. We go over the goals and objectives of the class, and then we, we we show people a DVD, a video, Uh, That just gives a summary of how how to maintain or repair your wheelchair so they get a sense and then we spend more time going through all the specific parts of their wheelchair this is just to give them an overview Um, we wrap things up and then the the next week we actually give people a toolkit so that they have something that they can use and then we we go through and we teach them how to do hands-on maintenance activities Um, and then we wrap things up now the maintenance a lot of it especially in the power chair users I'm just going to talk about the power chair users for this a lot of the maintenance is really just looking and identifying problems because with a power chair there's you know we're not teaching people how to do advanced electrical repairs or anything like that we just we want them like with your car uh, you really want to catch something before it leaves you stranded so, the goal, as we say, is it's just really we want people to be proactive. One of the things is Medicare does not cover maintenance, but it will cover repairs and that's kind of a reflection of our health care system right Not very good about prevention, but once you have the problem, they'll cover it um, and what Medicare does, the rest of our insurance companies do so you it's really hard to uh, to to have uh, maintenance covered so you really requires the individual to be the one doing the maintenance to to be taught how to do this so um, once the the damage is done then they will come in so it's really kind of a group effort here so um, one of the things we know is that by checking over your wheelchair you're likely to reduce adverse events related to wheelchair breakdowns or at least that's what we hope and they can be as simple as cleaning (coughs) caster axles uh, for people you know especially women with very long hair uh, pets hair gets wrapped up in the casters and can really uh, damage the bearings and everything like that and fixing flat tires so a wheelchair requires periodic maintenance to operate properly so really when you uh, try to approach this you're, you're trying to use that same concept somebody might use when working on a car or something is to inspect so you look and you see if you identify problems if there's no problems you move on if you found a problem you make a little note of that and that's something you're going to need to address so as I said everybody gets a toolkit there's no small toolkit we try to give them uh, a nice variety of things that they can use to repair their chairs, and if anything, they they enjoy getting the toolkit out of the class. And then a lot of people aren't necessarily mechanically inclined, so they need to practice. So we have a bolt board that people can sit there and work with and try to figure it out before they go ahead and start working on their wheelchair and strip all the bolts and various things out, so. We certainly, you know, do no harm so one of the things we do I'm not going to show it but we have a video this is the one for wheel uh, the manual wheelchairs but we also have one for power wheelchairs it's a brief video of about 10 minutes long that just gives a an overview to the people in the class so it helps orient them so we start with an orientation and then we hone in and then day one we go over the various items now I'm not going to go in as uh, detailed as we do in the actual class um thankfully for you but um you know we we have uh examples up in the front so that we can show people uh, mary will and i do the presentation mary is fantastic uh, given all her clinical experience for those who don't know mary shea and wheelchair clinic uh she's the coordinator the the clinical manager for wheelchair clinic um is probably one of the the most experienced people with wheelchairs in, in the country um and so we try to break it down in a logical way for people things that they might have to do monthly, weekly, daily uh, and then what are the components? Visuals, we try to give them a lot of visuals and then we talk about inspection items um, why it's important to complete the inspection, what is the action if they see a problem and then how often the, the items should be inspected we're trying to really break it down into a logical because it can be pretty overwhelming you look at this wheelchair and it's like where do I start so you know one of the, here's an example right of something that we might present with somebody so you know to go over your wheelchair and look for any nuts and bolts that are too loose that may cause parts to rattle fall off or even malfunction right I mean God forbid you know just because you didn't tighten something uh, it fell off and you got injured or got stranded And so the inspection might be you you look if it's too light um, loose then the action would be to tighten it Um, if it's missing or rusted you know you get help you ask an expert etc these are just some examples of that Um, so again what's the item you're looking at the nuts and bolts Um, why why it's important Uh, and then the item what you inspect the action item what you do and then the visuals so all of these components are part of this training so that people get really can see what's going on and then how frequent the inspection is monthly so accompanying this uh, for the clinician is a really detailed manual uh, going through and explaining like all the different items we will need um, explains why and then demonstrate while describing we're really trying to make it uh, an interactive session so that's not just lecturing um, so that people see here's another one that's uh, something done inspected monthly um, you know casters are important you know probably you know failure of a caster can leave you stranded or injured so we, these are some of the different things such as caster flutter or bearings listening for the bearings where Caster caps, those things can all contribute to um, breakdowns and things like that. Things to do weekly, so you know, as I said, these are just breaking down different items. Cushion is an example of something you should check weekly. This is something you sit in. If you have a a malfunctioning cushion, then you're increased risk for pressure ulcers. Here's some examples again. Um, some other things that to do monthly. and again, action items, so inspect, look. If something's loose, tighten it, um, adjust it, lubricate. Uh, and then if there's something broken, then that's when you can reach out to uh, a supplier and that's when something will be provided. is if you notice something wearing out, reach out to, your, to reach out to the supplier and then insurance companies should pay for that. Here's an example of something somebody would do daily, so it's in a power chair, you know, looking at the electronics, making sure it works, because the last thing, if you notice something strange, you don't want to be going out in public, or not in public, but out, and uh, risk being stranded. So if you notice some malfunctioning, um, then it's important to contact your supplier for some help. Um, inspecting the power seat functions you know there's been examples of people who get stuck in the tilt part and could you imagine being stuck that way Um, and then if that something like that happens to you then you're terrified to use that function again a friend of mine was in New York City and uh, uh, his chair just uh, stopped moving a power chair and uh, he was stuck there so imagine how frustrating and uh, nerve-wracking that can be so on day two, that's when we do the hands-on activity. So people, we, you know, we bring them to the gym. So the first day is in a lecture type setting in a conference room. The, the second week, uh, we do the training actually in the gym. We For the power chair users, we have them bring somebody to either act as their hands, because a lot of them are people with tetraplegia, or you're sitting in a power chair, and uh, the idea is really to enable them to direct others uh, to help them repair their chair. So, um, so what we do is we have pe- we have a checklist we give them. We have them identify the various maintenance maintenance issues on their wheelchairs, write them down, and then they go back and they do a hands-on activity to just you know. Address the issues that have arisen, and then we wrap it up for them. So, the checklist this is the checklist because, again, you know, people are kind of going into this uh, somewhat blind, and we all need a checklist to guide us as we go through. Um, these are just some of the examples that might be on a power chair. Some more. And then we have a summary and discussion. Summarize questions from the hands-on activity, uh, clarify confusing points, and then we did find out what some of the issues are, and then we go through and each one, you know, we break it down again. So, uh, looking at the control, looking at the various electrical things, things that could uh, impact them on a daily basis, things that, might, that they could do weekly, monthly and then yearly and uh, especially in the East Coast it's really important that somebody with a power chair even a manual chair have their wheelchair professionally serviced yearly. Uh, With the uh, winters that we sometimes get it might even be a good idea to do it twice a year because the salt and crud that uh, gets worked into the motors and the wheels can have a real damaging effect. Uh, I've uh, had some issues myself in the past so and again what we do is we try to review the learning objectives with the people to just focus them recognize the importance of completing regular wheelchair maintenance uh, list the appropriate timing for wheelchair maintenance tasks demonstrate the methods for maintaining their wheelchair and then we show them how to demonstrate and identify common technical wheelchair problems we have different memory aids so once they leave we want to try to provide them with things so that they don't forget so as I said we've got the checklist we give them maintenance cards these are included with the toolkit the maintenance cards are separated and uh, have a little uh, visual graphics on them uh, we send them reminders and emails here's an example of some of the maintenance cards uh, just to remind people of what they're supposed to do from the class Reminders, uh, one of the things we do is we, you know, have them think of all the different resources they might use if they had a breakdown. Um, people don't think about it until it's too late, so obviously is the supplier, and or alternative suppliers if for some reason they're not able to reach their supplier or vendor. But uh, another option is um, automobile repair uh, places uh, or uh, hardware stores, you know, if you need new uh, uh, bolts or nuts or anything like that, um, I certainly have used uh, automobile places in the past because they—they especially with some of the power items—they have a, a knowledge. So if you're in a pinch and you're traveling, you can always reach out to them, and so. Just in summary, wow, I went through that a lot faster than I realized. (laughs) Um, So just, you know, that wheelchair failures are increasing. It's really uh, because quality of wheelchairs has uh, decreased over time. Um, Maintenance knowledge completion is lacking in clinicians and wheelchair users. And so this wheelchair maintenance training program offers a structured approach to try to teach maintenance education in people with spinal cord injury so over time we've developed the clinician manual a PowerPoint toolkit checklist and reminder cards and uh, we do a combination of going over the content and hands-on practice and uh, right now we're in the midst of starting the study we've actually uh, carried out two separate classes I can't necessarily go into the details because this is Somewhat of a quasi randomized, quasi double blind uh, study, uh, just so that we can compare uh, different groups and how they do. Uh, but everybody's getting wheelchair maintenance. So, um, and again, this is a collaborative effort uh, with Pittsburgh, Miami, Kessler in Chicago, and then uh, Lee Kirby, Dr. Lee Kirby, who's at Dalhousie University. Uh, really has been leading the effort a lot with wheelchair skills training as well as the maintenance. He's been traveling all over the world because you know this is something that's happening in the United States, but imagine what it would be like to live in a third world country where you don't quite have the resources we do. Um, so he's been uh, traveling to 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 teach clinicians there uh, wheelchair skills and wheelchair maintenance training. So questions from anyone? Are you still awake? Yes, Sherry. Um, you
0: said this and I missed it. Just everybody
1: bear with me. Day two, are
0: you
1: taking apart the whole wheelchair? No, no, no. <laughs> well, oh, there's a piece missing. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we don't, yeah. No, so um, I probably blew through that a little too quickly and I, I removed some slides because uh, I wasn't sure how much, uh, how long it would take for me to go through it. but um, no what we're doing is now for the manual chairs we we will do some stuff so uh, but for the the power chair you know things that are easily removed we'll remove them we'll clean them um but it's you know we try to address problems there if we see them but the but we don't like strip down the car it's not like completely stripping down and put it back and then you notice oh got one screw missing Uh (laughs) uh-oh yeah Or I didn't know if you were examining like that as an individual, like, you know, and then seeing what's wrong with their wheelchair and then helping then taking that apart and then, like, it was on an individual basis. It was, yeah. So, 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 uh, just, I'm glad you asked that question. So, (laughs) um, so people, you know, are there with their wheelchair and then they have an assistant to help them. Um, and the assistant is not trained in wheelchair maintenance. Um, It's either an individual from home who might help them, or we have volunteers at Kessler uh, who come, and uh, the idea is to teach the wheelchair user to direct that individual. And uh, we give them the checklist, and they go through, and uh, first they inspect, and then they do the action. And so if they find a loose screw, then they'll fix it. You know, they go back and do that. That becomes an action item. if they notice, I mean if during the course of uh, looking at it we find something more severe, then, then Mary jumps in and tries to help it or we try to coordinate something with their, uh, their supplier to repair something. So, but now with the manual chair, once we start that up, uh, we'll be you know, going through with people cleaning their casters, which would require taking the caster apart you know, and putting it back together properly. Uh, so, uh, you know, luckily, you know, we have Mary, so, uh, but uh, the idea is to make people feel comfortable in doing that because, uh, you know, and, and at least with the manual chair, it's relatively straightforward. The other thing is teaching people how to repair a flat tire, and uh, it's one of those things, unless you've done it, you don't really appreciate it. And also with the pa- with the manual chairs, these tires especially, these uh, performance type tires are, you know, really um can be challenging to get back onto the uh, rim, and then just making sure they don't get another flat, and things like that, so.
0: I know for racing wheelchairs, uh, Honda has actually gotten into the market for um, building them. Have you heard anything about car companies being involved in transportation, talking about cheaper parts? and
1: Yeah, I, I haven't, I haven't, yeah. I'm
0: wondering if that might be the next
1: that that they would make a better wheelchair or just yeah yeah no it certainly certainly is a field uh, open to um, you know there's certainly the other thing that's happening is a lot of the wheelchair companies are seem to be you know forming a large like buying out each other's you know so uh, um, you know one may purchase the manual type of chair uh, and then uh, you know now whether that improves quality or not, I don't know, or if it's just a cost-saving uh, thing. So we'll see. Certainly, a lot of the wheelchair parts are made by bicycle companies. So the performance part of things, um, the the wheelchair frame has definitely benefited from uh, the 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 technology that goes with bicycles, um, in terms of uh, you know aircraft-grade aluminum and. Uh, Uh, titanium and graphite and things like that so um, so. yes, Jean. So as I understand it, the design of this study evolved a
0: bit over time. Yes, yes. Can you comment on what some lessons learned were from that process that might have implications for others interested in doing interventions that are education oriented?
1: (laughs) Yeah, wow. That's (laughs) No. No, it's it's a challenge as a person who had did a similar study. You know, um one of the things that I guess I'm you know, I guess I don't know if this will be streamed and how much would people would listen to it. But, you know, how do you do a a controlled trial, right? So you have one group that so let's say you're even trying to blind it, right? So you you have one group that's getting an intervention uh that is is kind of the intervention that you're hoping to uh, see a change in, and then the other group has to it's an active control. You have to give them something that makes them think they're getting an intervention, um, but it's it's really you don't want to say a crappy intervention, but it's you're trying to control for some of the the similarities that might happen. So, you know, if you're talking about uh, maintenance training. Um, you're, you're talking about there's the maintenance aspect of it but there's also the group aspect of it. You have a bunch of people who may be isolated or just not involved and then you're bringing them in and they're interacting with each other and they're learning things and so you may see improvements just from that interaction so somebody might say well how do we know that some of the measures you're looking at just aren't because of that and so you have to get very creative uh, with designs. And so one option is to have an educational counterpart um, that, uh, you know, so they're not necessarily getting the intervention. You give them some alternative intervention. But then uh, when you try to enroll people for those studies, you have to use very vague terms to describe your study. And uh, that's very challenging. Another option is to do a wait list control. Um, where people just start training at different times and, uh, and see how that goes. Uh, alternatively, you pick, you know, we've done this in the past with respiratory studies. You have a, an intervention that you think is that much better uh, versus one that's um, commonly used clinically. And so you hope the one that's that much better is, uh, is really that much better because you wanna show a difference between the two groups, so. You know, it's kind of the same thing when you talk about placebo interventions that actually are invent- interventions. So, um, you, you, not every study can be just a pill and give it to the person, and then, or you just give them a placebo pill uh, that you is an inert. So, so I don't know if that answered the question, but it just certainly the challenges. So, I didn't want to reveal too much either. So, yes. Yes? Hi, so my question is actually a follow-up to hers. Um, And maybe this is a question about studies in general. Are people very concerned about the possibility that they're going to go into a control group?
0: Is that something that enters up when you're on the stage of trying to recruit people, especially for something like this?
1: Sure. Absolutely. I mean, people... You mean the participants? Yeah. No, I mean, I think... uh, Participants come to the study because they want to. You they view them that there's going to be some sort of benefit. to that. I mean, you can have a mix. I mean, you can have people who are willing to um, just be involved, you know, out of uh, you know wanting to help. But uh, most people they look at the studies and they see something that, hey, that's going to benefit me, whether it be pain or I'd like to learn wheelchair maintenance and so um, you know sometimes you're a little vague and you may say it's something to improve your quality of life you know but what is that you know and then the person's like you know oh, this isn't what I had in mind when you said you're going to improve my quality of life especially when you're a person with spinal cord injury right that could range from in, you know increased therapy you know because they um, that'll help improve their quality of life so it's yeah I think that's that's exactly what you're trying to control for, and that's why you're blind, or one of the reasons. How do people qualify to be part of the training program? They just have to be a person with uh, spinal cord injury. Now, we have a very broad definition. So, um, you know, for some of our studies, they have to have what's called a traumatic spinal cord injury meaning that there was some direct insult. You know, sometimes this throws people off because every injury is traumatic, right, to some extent. It's distressing to the individual. But, the, but, um, but there's also a spinal cord injury can be caused by disease or tumor or other things, and those aren't typically classified as traumatic. But for this study, it's anybody with a spinal cord injury, um, and they use a wheelchair as their primary means of mobility, so. It's pretty broad, which makes it nice, you know, because some of our studies are very uh, narrow. So, um, you know, somebody with multiple sclerosis who has primarily spinal cord involvement, you know, may qualify. Uh, the The one thing we're trying to do, though, is, uh, you know, if somebody has a progressive spinal cord injury, um, we probably wouldn't enroll them just because their condition could change over the course of the study. So not that they wouldn't benefit from maintenance. And one of the things that eventually the study we're gonna do is um, provide this on the internet, provide these as learning modules, because one of the things with uh, the funding agency, NIDILRR, is they're all about dissemination. So uh, it's really making it accessible. So I think right now we're in year three. Um, By year five, it's really making all these materials available on the internet. You know, working towards YouTube segments so that anybody can benefit, because not e- you know, the majority of wheelchair users aren't necessarily those with spinal cord injury. You have all kinds of people who use wheelchairs, so. Okay. Any else? Trevor, what kind of clinicians um, like the exam do you have? clinicians workbook as well? What type of clinicians assist people with their wheelchairs? Is it OTs, PTs? Yeah, um, a mix actually. So, so um, you know, so you, uh, occupational therapy is generally the one that, uh, that has focused on the area of wheelchair, but you, you know, depending on the clinic, uh, could be any number of people. Um, you have techs. Depending on the area, uh, you may even have suppliers. Who function in that role so uh, you know we use the term clinician kind of loosely um, but uh, there's a uh, RESNA Rehab Engineering Society of North America actually there's been this kind of focus to improve the, uh, the licensing or the identification of people who are skilled in providing things like uh, repairs prescription and so RESNA has been trying to lead that because you can have anybody who claims to be an expert. Uh, so RESNA has something called an ATP, which is I think an assistive technology professional. Yep. And so in order to be certified is that you really have to have uh, years of clinical experience in this area. So it's not just something you sit for a test if you study really hard. So either clinical experience or as a supplier, suppliers can become ATPs. Um, just uh, years of uh, servicing the community in this, uh, in this area and then there is a test. So it's really, and what they're trying to encourage is that insurance um, require that somebody be evaluated by an ATP, you know, because there's been so much you know everybody's seen like the, the you know the the scooter commercials you know you know we can get you a scooter the late night scooter commercials the unfortunate thing is you know people get their scooter and then it breaks down and then they're unhappy and um and it's because they they went around they didn't go through a professional who who you know would say to them look this isn't appropriate for you you know you need a sophisticated piece of equipment you know i can help you get it but you know there's a process involved here so um so I was wondering is there currently a standard of care for wheelchair maintenance when someone leaves inpatient? I mean are they educated in this way and then if not is that another plan or having some Mm -hmm. kind of booster session sure sure so so really there is no you know standard I mean hospital stays have gotten shorter and shorter Uh, so you know I was, when I was injured uh, back in the 90s, I was in the hospital for five months, Uh, and even then I could have stayed a little longer. Now, for somebody my level of injury, you're lucky if you're there for one or two months, and uh, you're just wrapping your head around being injured, Uh, learning how to care for yourself, bowel bladder management, all those things, making your home accessible. There isn't time to teach something like this. So it really then falls on outpatient to address this, Unfortunately outpatient visits are limited Um, and I mean I understand but people when people have therapy and things like that they want to focus on therapy you know many people want to try walking you know or at least work in those areas or increase their strength so they don't necessarily want to use therapy sessions to learn how to maintain their wheelchair Um, so really the goal is to provide an outside resource for them to go to and then they can be referred to it. Well, thank you all very much. Take care.